You're listening to The Brook in Madison, Alabama. From darkness to light, this is the story we all share as the people of God. He draws us out to draw us in. From the birth of Israel to the church today, God delivers and dwells with his people. slept a wink, huh? No, I pretty much have coffee flowing through my veins right now. Do you really? Yeah. But as a college student, I'm no, thinking maybe that's not so rare. Yeah, I'm up pretty late, mostly. I'm kind of uh, insomniac, I guess. Okay, but so, but so you know where you I'm, are. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. All right, good, good. Yeah. Well, as long as you're feeling good yeah. and you know the rules and the lifelines and you're ready to play, we're going to play. Are you right. ready? Ready. Okay, then let's play. buy surge protectors to protect their possessions from unexpected surges of what? Electric current, water flow, air pressure, buyer's remorse. I will say B, water flow, final answer. What? Oh, oh Chase, you know, it was electric current. Oh, Chase, I'm so sorry. Oh, darn. Zero, zero. I, um, I never really, I mean, I, I didn't watch Who Wants to Be a Millionaire religiously or anything, but I watched this show enough, especially when Regis was on there, right? I never saw somebody win zero, ever. I saw people fail to win the million or maybe like the 500,000, but they at least went home with like $100,000 or something. Never saw that before absolutely astounding. It's like, you, you can't miss that question. Everything's riding on that question, but apparently you can. And when I saw this clip, there's more people like this that, that they missed the first question. Well, this morning, um, we're going to face a question that's more important for you, for me, and even for Chase there, um, than that one. Um, and the question is, who is the Lord? Who is the Lord? Um, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 5. We're going back into Exodus. Um, before we just dive in, though, just kind of a reminder of where we are. Um, God's people are in slavery. Um, Moses grew up in the palace, but he was a Hebrew somewhere around the age of 40 probably, Moses began to be really conflicted. There was tension there because his people were suffering, but he was living in the palace in a moment of rage, if you will. Moment, uh, Moses kills an Egyptian who was abusing one of the Israelites. He flees into the desert. Um, there he meets his wife. 
he goes to work for his father-in-law as a shepherd, and one day he's out tending his sheep up on a mountainside, and God comes and tells Moses, I've chosen you, and I'm sending you back into Egypt to bring my people out of slavery. And uh, Moses um, audaciously argues and debates with God for a little while, but finally he submits and surrenders and obeys. He comes back, and when he gets back to Egypt, he meets his brother Aaron, who God has said, I'm going to send Aaron with you. And he tells Aaron everything that's happened. Aaron and Moses go to the elders of Israel, explain this is what God has said. Everybody's on board. And so Exodus chapter 5, it's time to go to Pharaoh. So look with me, Exodus chapter 5, verse 1. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, You will no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they have made in the past, you will still impose on them. By no means are you to reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. The first thing that we see in Exodus chapter 5 through Moses and Aaron's declaration to Pharaoh is we see God's desire for his people. God's desire for his people is that we might be free from slavery, that we might be free to worship him and enjoy his presence forever. Maybe you've heard something similar to that. The Westminster Catechism says that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy his presence forever. That's God's desire for us. And here's the thing. Ultimately, all of us, we will either be drawn to and transformed by that truth or we will be repelled and condemned by it, one or the other. And at this point, we see pretty clearly where Pharaoh stands on that line. So his response is revealing of an eternally important truth. Everything in our life hinges on our answer to Pharaoh's question. Who is the Lord? Who is the Lord? A few thousand years later, Jesus is with the disciples cruising into Caesarea Philippi, and we talked about this just a few weeks ago. 
he asked them that question. Who do you say that I am? Who is the Lord? And Peter's response was, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus said that he would build his church on that confession, on that declaration. You are the Christ. So who is the Lord? The Lord desires that we would know him. And we sang this, that we would be free from slavery to sin and that we would be reconciled back into his presence forever. So Moses and Aaron come and they kind of proclaim this. Hey, Pharaoh, um, here's what the Lord says. We're his people. We need to go out and we need to worship him. And Pharaoh's response is, who is the Lord? But if you read this once or twice, you realize Pharaoh's not really asking a question here. He, he's not. He's, he's making a statement. He's saying, I don't know the Lord. And so I don't really care about him or what he wants. Well, even though he's not really technically asking a question, Moses decides to answer it anyways. And Moses tells him, you want to know who he is? I'll tell you. He's Yahweh. He's the great I am. Moses' words are, the God of the Hebrews has spoken to us. He has met with us. He desires our worship, Pharaoh. So let us go into the wilderness and seek him and worship him. Oh, by the way, if you don't, it's possibly going to get really painful and bad for us and for you. So the line's been drawn. It's going to get bad. And here's where the issue moves from believing and recognizing God's identity to accepting and yielding to his authority. Because you see, if you don't recognize God's identity, that he is who he says he is, you're not really going to care about, submit to his authority, that he is going to do what he said he's going to do. Whether Pharaoh understood this or not, which I don't think that he consciously necessarily did, his hunger for the Israelites' service, um, probably a better word is slavery, uh, was ultimately his consuming desire to be worshipped. And on the one hand, we have to give Pharaoh at least a small like benefit of the doubt that he, he was basically raised to believe that he himself was at least sort of a god because he was Pharaoh. But at some point, you have the responsibility of recognizing you're not God. Pharaoh wanted to be God. Pharaoh wanted lordship. Pharaoh wanted his own kingdom. Technically, you could say, well, he kind of had it, didn't he? Well, he did in earthly terms. But you know what? He wanted to be God. He wanted to be Lord. He wanted his own kingdom. And along with that, he wanted slaves. He wanted slaves. Pharaoh is alive and well today. Do you know that? And before any of us start conjuring up images in our head of who we think that we're referring to, Pharaoh's alive and well today in us. And you and I, as followers of Christ, 
daily have to put him to death. Every day. Pharaoh says, I don't know the Lord, so I don't care about who he is or what he wants. And also, I don't care about his people. Those who reject God, those who remain ignorant to his identity, um, and who therefore remain resistant and rebellious to his authority, are ultimately going to become malevolent to God's community. I probably have used the word malevolent three times in my life, but can find no other word here that fits better. What does this word mean? It's like vicious ill will, spite, and hatred. So let me rephrase what I just said. Every unbeliever is at some point ultimately going to become uh, resistant to, going to become hostile to every believer. Every unbeliever will eventually become hostile to every believer. And here's Here's why Jesus said it was going to be that way. John chapter 15, verses 18 and 19. Don't be surprised if the world hates you. The world hated me first. If you were of the world, the world would love you. It would receive you as its own. But you're not of the world. You are mine. And the world has hated me, therefore it will hate you. Why is this? Well, here's the thing, friends. If I want to keep living in sin, I don't want you or anybody else making me feel bad about it. If I want to go on believing, pretending, acknowledging, there, is a God, there isn't a God, and even if there is, I don't really care. I don't want to accept that. I don't want to yield to that. My life belongs to me. I don't want someone else here beside me, around me, making me feel bad about the way I want to live. At some point, every believer, unbeliever, is going to become hostile to the gospel. They're either going to submit to it or they're going to be hostile against it. And everyone who rejects God's identity, refuses to submit to his authority, is going to wind up there. This is Pharaoh. So what's he going to do about it? Look at verse 10. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and they said to the people, thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go get your own straw. Go get straw for yourselves wherever you can find it. But your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work, your daily task each day, as when there was straw. And the foreman of the people of Israel whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten. And they were asked, Why have you not done all of the task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? Stop there for a minute and let's just acknowledge, these are either the most ruthless authoritarians ever or the biggest idiots of all time. You are going to go find your own straw 
okay? You're going to spread out everywhere. You're going to gather your own straw. We're not getting it for you anymore, but hey, you're going to still have to make the same amount of bricks that you were making beforehand. And then like two days later, they round them up and beat them and they say, how come you're not making the same amount of bricks? Well, maybe because we're doing a whole day's work of gathering straw, you morons. They're either completely ignorant to this or they're just looking for a reason to beat these people. That was Egypt, my friends. Verse 15, then the foremen of the people of Israel came and they cried to Pharaoh, why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, make bricks. And behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But Pharaoh said, you're idle, you're lazy, you don't work. That's why you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Now, go and work. No straw will be given to you, but you're still going to make the same number of bricks. The foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, you will by no means reduce your number of bricks. They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to Moses and Aaron, the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Notice something here. Up to this point, when God's people are in a moment of crisis, who do they cry out to? They cry out to God. They've gone from crying out to God to crying out to Pharaoh. They're going and pleading with the very one who's ordering them to work harder and to be beaten. And not only that, They've gone from submitting to and yielding to and following Moses and Aaron now to blaming them. It's your fault. Your big mouths have gotten us into this. This is all the result of sin. Sin is a horrible, horrible taskmaster. Sin is a harsh slave driver. And let me tell you why. Sin serves the wrong master. Sin serves the wrong master. Verse 1, Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh, and what are the first words that come out of their mouth? Thus says the Lord. Hey, Pharaoh, we want you to know who we follow, who we submit to, who we listen to, and who has sent us here today, the Lord. Look at verse 10. The taskmasters and the foremen go to the people, and the first words out of their mouth are, thus says Pharaoh. Sin will keep bringing us back to the wrong master. Sin will keep bringing us back to the very one who enslaves us. 
Friends, Pharaoh is without question a real, historical, biblical person. But at the same time, we need to understand that he is the epitome of, the picture of, the personification of sin as a master. If you want to see what it looks like when sin rules over our lives, look at Pharaoh. Pharaoh says... You're not working hard enough. You're lazy. You don't care about the Lord. You're just lazy. So here's what's going to happen. I'm going to increase the load. And if you look in like verse 4 or 5 there, I don't remember which one it is. His words, verse 4, his words to Moses and Aaron, very, very pointed and very, very powerful. Get back to your burdens. Get back to your burdens. But then again, you fast forward to the Gospels and Jesus, he said a little something about burdens. Pharaoh says, get back to your burdens. Jesus says, bring them to me. Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy burdened. I'll give you rest. Pharaoh says, you want to worship somebody else? Forget you. I'll increase the load and I will tighten the yoke around your neck. Jesus says, come worship me, follow me. My load is easy. My burden, my yoke, it's light. I'll loosen it. Come and find rest for your soul. Exodus chapter five, it's interesting. You read it and you look at the the heading, the title of Exodus 5, Making Bricks Without Straw. That's an that's a odd title. Like of all the things going on in this, that's what we're going to theme this. What's that all about? Straw was essential in the process of making bricks. What straw does, straw reinforces the clay and it's actually the thing that helps the bricks stay together. Okay, so if you remove straw from the equation, it's not only going to make the process of brick making much harder, the bricks aren't really even going to last. They're going to crumble and deteriorate right around you. Pharaoh says, go find your own straw. You know what sin does? Sin promises freedom and it delivers more slavery. Sin says, this is going to make life better. The reality is, it just keeps making it worse. Pharaoh not only says, go go find your own straw, he says this, go find your own straw wherever you can find it. So understand what's going on here. The people of Israel, in their brick making, the Egyptians used to bring big piles of the straw right there to where we're making the bricks. When we go to Guatemala to work with Casas Por Cristo and build houses, we get to the work sites. And if you don't know any better, you would think that these magical piles of sand and gravel just showed up there. Well, no, the the people that we're building for, along with the Casas reps, they bring all of that to you so that we've got people who are shoveling rock, 
shoveling sand, walking it right over to the cement mixers. We're pouring it in. We're pouring it out. Boom, it's there. The straw, it was right there. Not anymore. Now the people, the scripture says, are scattered all over the land looking for straw. Wherever they can find it. And when they did, you'll notice that they found stubble for straw. They didn't even find the real thing. They found a sorry substitute. That's sin. Sin, it sells us this sorry excuse, this sorry substitute. Sin makes life harder. Sin's promises, they all fall apart, crumble, deteriorate around us, just like making bricks without straw. And Jesus says, come to me. I've come that you might have life to the fullest. Come and build your life upon me. I will not fall apart underneath you. Come to me and find rest for your souls. Come to me that you might have life. Friends, we're, we're residents of Alabama. But is it possible that some of us are living like slaves in Egypt? Can should we be citizens of the kingdom of God living like slaves in Egypt? What do I mean by that? Wandering about, desperately searching for straw, building our lives on things that are only going to like slip through our fingers and crumble underneath our feet. I mean, is it possible that we might be doing that? All of this is determined by our answer to that question back there, who is the Lord? And here's the thing. Our answer, the evidence of how we answer that question is found in what kind of bricks we're making. It's found in what is it that we're constructing our life on? Who is it that we're building it for? What's it all being built on? Look with me for a moment in 2 Peter. In the back of the New Testament, you have Hebrews, James, 1 Peter, 2 Peter. Look in 2 Peter chapter 2. Peter is actually talking about false prophets, false teachers, but in doing that, he is also talking about sin, its effect, its purpose, what it actually accomplishes. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 19, Peter says, they promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of of corruption. That's what sin does, my friends. Sin promises freedom, but only makes you a slave of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. See, some of us, it's interesting because at times in our life, some of us, we, we beat the mess out of ourselves 
But then in other times, we give ourselves as many free passes as we can come up with. Some of us, we think, you know, I get angry every once in a while, but it's just my personality. It's, you know, that, I, I, I'm a hothead sometimes. You know, maybe we're giving ourselves a free pass. Here's what anger does. Anger comes and says, you deserve justice. In these moments that come without any thoughts, without any prayer, without any anything, you deserve justice. And so we're determined to get it, whether it's with our spouse or our coworker or our parent or whoever it may be. Oh, so mad. And you know what it sells us? It just sells us slavery to more anger. That's it. I spent a good 10 years of my life convincing myself that every once in a while, I just got mad. And it was always justified, my friends. Always. And I had no earthly idea how toxically miserable I would make myself. Bitterness. Bitterness promises restitution. She hurt me. I I deserve for her to know how bad she hurt me. It promises us restitution, but it just delivers us resentment. And it's like, hey, here's some poison. Go ahead. Mm, That tastes good going down. It's just poison. And we think, you know, I I keep getting hurt. No, maybe what happens is we just keep being bitter. Lust. Lust comes and says, I promise you, this is going to satisfy you. If I could just get my hands on that, if I could just see that, then I'd be satisfied. You ask a porn addict if they're satisfied. They will never be satisfied. Ever. Lust, it just, all that it does is it promises satisfaction, but it leaves us empty and broken. Self-centeredness, selfishness. It, it sells us like gratification. And in the end, it just leaves us alone, like all alone. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 19, friends, what sin does is it promises freedom, but it leaves us as slaves to corruption. It leaves us just like the Israelites who are in slavery, and the very one they're pleading with is the one who enslaved them. He was never going to turn them loose. 
never going to set them free. Sin promises freedom, but leaves us as slaves to corruption. Does that sound like an accurate description of the people of God to you? It doesn't to me. I find that in Romans chapter 6. Look with me for a moment. We're about to wrap up here. Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 16. Do you not know that if you present yourself to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin which leads to death or of obedience which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Verse 22, now that you have been set free from sin and become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. That's what I'm talking about. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, some of us this morning need to tell Pharaoh, I'm leaving Egypt. I'm not coming back. Peace out. Some of us need to tell sin, I'm not your slave any longer. I've been set free. I'm done with you. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Who is the Lord? Jesus Christ. And you know what? He faced down sin. He faced down death. He faced down the enemy. And he said, let my people go. In him we have found life. Man, amen. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would stir our souls and get us worked up over what you have done for us. Uh, God, that we would just refuse to settle for anything less than abundant life. God, that we would refuse to spend our lives chasing after straw. God, things that are going to burn up. But Lord, that you would do whatever you need to do in our lives as your people. That we would realize there's nothing our lives ought to be spent for other than your kingdom. Pharaoh is dead. You are alive. (laughs) 
brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you this morning that in just a moment here, I'm going to tell you, singing is maybe the least important thing that we do. Being obedient to the Spirit of God, that's what it means to respond. I would encourage you this morning with the heart of David to cry out to the Lord, search me, O God. God, you know my heart. You know my innermost being. You created me. Father, anywhere in my life where there is unconfessed sin, where I've swept it under the rug, where I I don't even realize that I am still shackled to the wall and paralyzed by it, Lord, that you would bring me to the place of saying, I refuse to live here any longer. Lord Jesus, you have lifted those chains. You have broken those shackles. Will you give me the conviction, the courage today to leave them, to run back to you? lead me in the way everlasting. In just a moment, I just want to encourage you, if if you need to come to the foot of the cross or to the steps and pray, I invite you to come. If you need someone to pray with you or over you someone to share with you the good news of the gospel some of our pastors our elders, our leaders are going to be in the back and let me just say this to you don't go stand in the back if you're not ready to pray with somebody and share the gospel with them okay But as we respond to the Lord, may we respond with obedient hearts, desperate for him. Lord Jesus, we proclaim that you are king. We don't need a Pharaoh. We have the almighty eternal God ruling and reigning over our lives pray that you would come and be glorified in this place. Let me invite you to quietly stand. Thanks for listening to The Brook. If you'd like more information about our church or what it means to follow Christ, you can visit our website at thebrookchurch.com.